All right, you guys, podcast time. We got the equipment and the perfect business plan. Give our show away for free and tell no one how to find it. Ready? Get in there. You will deal with that Atlas harshly. Fight forever, Guardian! I think he broke it. And you're listening to Hell in a Cell Radio. The Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. One and all, and everybody, to another edition of HIAC Talk Radio, now part of the relaunched HIAC, I almost forgot the name, HIAC Talk Radio (laughs) Network. The network is back, the home of the stadium journey, the home of Manic Mix Tape, the home of Nerd Herders Rebooted, of course, the home of Obey the Puck, and the home of the flagship, flagship, the flagship... (laughs) That's yep, going in. We put a flag in it, damn it. <laughs> God damn it. We're that's yeah. staying in. The home of the flagship show. This sh- the shit show right here that you call HIAC Talk Radio, the Pro Wrestling Podcast. All on the HIAC Talk Radio Network. If you go to your um, smartphone or anywhere you can download podcasts, type in HIAC Talk Radio Network. Look for the new black and red logo with all the podcast logos contained in within. It's beautiful. That's Craig Lagans uh, showing himself. It's beautiful thing for our archives. For our archives. Easy for you to say. No, not at all. <laughs> um, our sister network, VOC Nation Radio Network, all of our old episodes there. It was always supposed to be temporary. We'll get into that in a little while. Uh, there's going to be a separate episode where we say goodbye to the VOC Nation, but not goodbye, just to. Uh, See you down the road. But uh, we have some things to talk about. With me always, Craig Lagans is here. Um, so it's going to be a little different this week. We are going to get into wrestling, but there's certain things. We're talking off the air. Off the air. I'm, I'm not going to get it right tonight. I'm real nervous because of the problems we had um, last night trying to record. So I'm just monitoring everything and it's throwing me off. So I'm just going to ignore that. We should be good to go. I'm just going to keep going and, and, and focus here. So uh, we were talking off air about, and hi, Sheldon's mama. Welcome. Hi, Sheldon's mama. There are yeah. certain, there are, thir- th- 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 there are yeah. certain things <laughs> that we would mention on the show that kind of eclipse pro wrestling. If something happened like last year when uh, the city was protesting and on lockdown, uh, or when a certain figure passes away, we've reached one of those, unfortunately, today. And way out of the blue, uh, the passing of a legend in comedy whose name was Paul Mooney. Yeah. And I wanted to bring this up, but I know I surprised Craig with this because I wanted to bring this up because, as I indicated on Twitter, it is a man who any chance I got would bring up in a conversation about comedy Mm -hmm. because he's kind of the silent legend, the silent voice that never got enough attention in my eyes. And of course, you know, there was that period when Chappelle Shoko, which we'll talk about in a second, Mm -hmm. Chappelle goes came out and people were like, Hey, where I discovered him. Cause honestly had no idea 
that Paul Mooney was a thing until yeah. Chappelle's show came around. I'm like, who is this guy? Look, oh, got it. Uh, uh, he was co-writing. He was co-writing. He was writing for Richard Pryor, yeah. writing for everybody. Uh, a trio blazer. Yeah. Uh, and very real, which I think I think I don't think he was like a miserable person. I just think. I just think that. Um, he was real about things. Uh-huh. This is temporary. Hold on. I think he was just real about things. Yeah. Uh, which rub people the wrong way, which I mean. What do I, I don't, I don't do that at all. You know what I'm saying? But not at the same level, but I just want to talk a little bit about Paul Mooney. Um, so take it away, Craig, before I keep going about it. <laughs> well, the, uh, I have a more of a, uh, a connection with Paul Mooney because I'm incredibly old and I remember <laughs> watching Paul Mooney do it when he was doing stand up in the seventies, in the early seventies, wearing leisure suits and collars without, uh, that showed off his gold chains. And the first time I saw him was on, on a game show called Make Me Laugh. It's where contestants would come on with a chance to win money and stand-up comedians would have 30 seconds to make this person laugh. And the longer the contestant went without laughing, the more money you got. So this is the first time I saw not only Paul Mooney, the first time I saw Sandra Bernhardt. This is the first time wow. I saw Bill Burr. This is the first time I saw uh, most of the uh, 70s comics, Charlie Callis, Brett Travelina, uh, Kip Adada, most of the, the guys, the, the comics you would see on Mike Douglas, uh, Robin Williams, that would uh, do this kind of stuff. But I saw Paul Williams as just a smiling, happy guy that would, you know, tell his jokes. But when he started writing for, and he was already friends with Richard Pryor, that's why Richard Pryor invited him to be a writer on his show. And the Richard Pryor show on NBC, which would, uh, which was canceled uh, because the network uh, really ran out of time as far as censorship goes. Um, Paul Mooney wrote the sketch, how because every week Richard Pryor knew felt like he was going to get canceled, but he wrote a, a sketch for a skit for Richard where you know the NBC network has tried to take away everything from me. They take away, you know, my what I could say, my language, my verbiage, my humor, and they've left me with nothing. And so Richard Pryor came out naked and it was edited that his penis was removed. So they took every they literally took everything from him. That went as close to there was no internet back then, but that the picture of him naked uh, with his with no genitals looking like a black Ken doll was in every newspaper and every how done Richard Pryor, controversial comedian, and this is why he got fired and stuff like that. Um, but N Richard Pryor's show now would be the number one show on television, on the network show. That's how groundbreaking it was. And not only did he have Paul Mooney as his writer, but he had the aforementioned Sandra Bernhardt. Uh, Robin Williams was a bit player on the Richard yes. Pryor show. Yes, Robin Williams couldn't even get on the air on the Richard Pryor show. Because not because Robin Williams wasn't funny, but because the number of layers of people that were above him that that Paul Mooney wrote for and the sketches that he was doing, uh, just Robin Williams just couldn't find a foothold to, to get in there. Um, but that's where Robin Williams got his start. Paul Mooney was writing for him on the Richard Pryor show. And Paul Mooney labeled himself as the godfather of comedy. 
not out of arrogance, but only because, like you said, Dan, he was a guy, you know, in behind the behind the guy that was doing all the stuff that was writing things for Richard, that was suggesting things for Richard. He's the guy behind the guy behind the other guy that was behind the other guy. Like exactly. I compare him to a band or a music group mm-hmm. that musicians love, that fan that only a select amount of fans know. Yeah. That should be known by more people. Exactly. As Paul Moody to me. Yeah. And, and, and Paul Moody had still had a successful career stand up oh, yeah. because if you look at any of his stand up and he, he toured regularly for 40 years and made a made a fine living. And just the stories he had were a lot. Uh, George Wallace, you know, who we consider as one of the great legendary comedians. George Wallace called Paul Mooney uh, a mentor for him. And, you know, like he, he went to he went to Paul Mooney for advice, you know. George Wallace, who's seen everything and done everything, uh, but to him, Paul Mooney was uh, a, a father-like figure, uh, just because of his experience and the way he could he could work a crowd. And obviously, uh, I and it, it's almost I, bitterly ironic, Dan, that we're talking about Paul Mooney and New Jack on the same day because yeah, they're, they're they're so parallel to each other because uh, they're both guys that. You know, you talk to a certain amount of people that they had a lot of bad things to say about him, but the people that had a good thing to say about him were were in glowing, beloved terms yeah. uh, about him. Yeah. Uh, they're both people that a lot of people, a lot of fans thought should have had more mainstream success. But in both cases, I don't think I think they were both OK not having mainstream success. I think New Jack was OK. With I think I, I definitely think New Jack was was more than OK with not having mainstream success. And I think if Paul Mooney was a wrestling fan, New Jack would be his favorite wrestler because they both had that same. I'll say what I want. I'll do what I want. And if it pisses white people off even better, you know, I'll, I'll say I'll say twice as loud uh, because both men were unapologetic about how they felt about the, the fairer complexion. <laughs> and what it meant to them and their careers. And Paul he would Mooney, be correct. Yes. And Paul Mooney was very quick to say, hey, I'm not sugarcoating this. Nobody sugarcoated it for me when I was coming up and called the N-word. And I was, I was going to say, what yeah. one of his quotes is, uh, I, I, I had nothing to do with racism. Racism was here when I was already here when I got here. Yeah. <laughs> and, so, and so the people that, that saw him as, as bitter and surly, and they were correct uh, more often oh, yeah. than not. Uh, he, he was very arrogant, but he was also very insightful. It's but one the, of those guys, though, that yeah. you see is bitter and you're like, well, I mean, he's yeah. kind of right. Yeah. But <laughs> but I wanted to point out that he wasn't bitter because he didn't get the the success that a lot of people thought he should have got or got, didn't got the mainstream. He was bitter because of the treatment he saw not only for uh, black comedians and being in Richard Pryor's corner, he saw the amount of obstacles that he had to overcome. Now, granted, Richard put a lot of those obstacles in his own way with his drug use. Very true. Yeah. But also, it didn't help the, the color. He would have, Paul Mooney always said Richard Pryor would still have a show if he was white. He could done all the stuff he did, and he would still, and there would be a, a allowances made for him. Um, Especially back in the drug fuel days of the seventies, when he would party with, he party with Richard Pryor and Burt Reynolds. Uh, but Richard Pryor would be banned from the set, and Burt Reynolds would be let right in. You know that kind of thing. Uh, but that that was his bitterness, and also watching, he was also an activist. He he was an activist in that he spoke out. He wasn't the guy that went to rallies and went to 
but he was he also saw the atrocities that that black people had to go through and that came out in his stand-up which pissed you know? people that which, which pissed you people find out a lot of people that are like well fuck paul mooney is because of that it's yeah. the same thing not at the same level because we're not all Paul Mooney, but it's the same thing as going, Oh yeah, you're woke. I'm like, I would just very much like black people to not be marginalized. It's not that yeah. big, you know, I'm just saying. No. <laughs> but, but uh, he, he spoke truth uh, before a lot of other uh, uh, comedians did uh, quite. And he wasn't, a, and he, you, you were first introduced to him on the Chappelle show, like an entire generation that never heard of Paul Mooney. Uh, but thanks to the Chappelle show, because Dave Chappelle, another fan of comedy, knows, you know, greatness. And yeah, out of all the people he wanted on his staff, he went out and got Paul Mooney. This is a guy that was anointed by yeah. Eddie Murphy and Richard Pryor himself, mm-hmm. who then in turn was like, well, you guys look up to these guys and I'm going to use them, too. Yeah. And the big standout and all that was Paul Mooney, who still has one of my favorite moments of that show. And here's the thing about Mooney. I was trying to re- retweet and share a lot. And there's some stuff I could share where I was like, I shouldn't be sharing that. <laughs> like I was pushing it with the, with the thing, 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 starring yeah. Tom Hanks. Right. I was pushing it with that yeah. one. But you, uh, everybody understood my point. Yes. Um, but that thing about <laughs> Stephen King, and God loves Stephen King. But the ask the black guy when Stephen King asked if black people like being uh, like black hairdressers and being buried by black undertakers, just the react you got to watch as good as that sketch is. You guys have to look up, which is the version I shared, the unedited version of that, where it's just Paul watching the videos of the live questions being asked and Paul answering back. Yeah. And then at the end of all that, them telling him, wait, this isn't stage. This is real. Then it's even funnier yeah. because he's both because he, he's like, oh, Jesus, these are so stupid. <laughs> um, but when he just goes after Stephen King about I can't say the words, but why don't you write in a smart black person? <laughs> why don't you try that? <laughs> it's try still that. one of the funniest clapbacks I've ever heard of somebody that makes me crack up every time because then you look at. Stephen King's body work, you're like, huh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that's isn't that odd? <laughs> it's like looking at John Hughes's body work. It's like, huh? Yeah, huh? That's, that's very not, white, not, isn't it? A lot of diversity there. Yeah, <laughs> but, but 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 Stephen King went further and just put the dumb black guy where John Hughes kind of stayed away from that. Yeah, and Stephen King was like, he's the idiot. Yeah. Ooh, <laughs> oh man. Yeah, and the blackest thing in a John Hughes movie with Anthony Michael Hall being drunk and weird. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. But but uh, but but Paul Moody had the the segment to ask a black guy. But he, he uh, another segment had David Chappelle and he Dan alluded to it. Uh, and I it it got to me. That's how I I connected with Paul Mooney because I was thinking the same thing. And then he says it. The Last Samurai starring Tom Cruise, the Mexican starring Brad Pitt, and then Paul Mooney said, "I'm gonna make a movie that the last N word on earth starring Tom Hanks." And <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, you know, it's kind of, yeah. Well, you know, people are like, well, you can't say that about Tom Hanks. I'm like, if that's what you picked out of that, yeah, you're part of the problem because that was not the point. And you're, and, and that, you know, that's all I needed to hear from you. Uh, I also want to point out one of the best uh, sketches 
you know, SNL these days is hot and cold, depending on who you talk to. Uh-huh. But, and I will say, I'll put this in a top three sketch of all time, just because of who and why, mm-hmm. which is the racial word association test uh, yeah. uh, uh, sketch with Chevy Chase and, and Richard Pryor, Pryor written by Paul Mooney. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's as relevant as it was 40 years ago. For, is it 40? We're getting on to... It was, it was 76. So it was 45 years ago. 45, oh, it wasn't 76. All right, 45 years ago. Yeah. Um, it's just as relevant today. But to know that Paul Meany wrote that and to know that they put those words in the miserable prick that we know Chevy Chase to be, Yeah. to watch him try not to break because he's watching Richard Pryor react past the content of the sketch mm-hmm. and the voice that Pryor puts on. You want me to yeah. start now? It's just <laughs> it's gold and it's less than five minutes. It's, it's and we're done. Five minutes of a sketch that will never air again that lives on in YouTube. I was and- going to say it's on their official YouTube which shocked me. Yeah, yeah. but uh, just <laughs> the last two were dead honky. Is will, will always live in, in for me as the greatest punchline. That that's great, but I also like the honky honky. <laughs> <laughs> and then the Edward dead honky, dead honky. Uh, yeah, uh, I forgive me, Mister Ren- Mister Reynolds. You will be the highest paid janitor in the history of the United States. <laughs> you want me to start now? No, no, no. You look tired. Take a few weeks <laughs> off. So. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. Our our. Our our explanation of it is not doing it justice. Go no. watch that no. sketch. It's on YouTube. Go to my Twitter. I shared it about four hours ago. Yeah. So uh so our HIAC talk radio fans, we're getting an education in pop culture <laughs> history. Uh we lost one of the great voices in uh in classic uh American comedy. And uh Paul Mooney may never have gotten the mainstream recognition that a lot of people thought think he deserved. The recognition he got from his peers. Uh, and the people that know him is more than enough. And if you uh, if you are a fan of comedy, uh, Paul Mooney is uh, someone, and, you, and you're not familiar with Paul Mooney outside of Chappelle Show, which is very you know. If that's the only way you know him, which again, is fine, great. Again, <laughs> great. But it shows that from from Chappelle to uh, the Richard Pryor Show, there's a 35 year gap there, and he's still his what he wrote was still just as relevant and just as funny if not more than the stuff he wrote for Richard Pryor to go from Richard Pryor to Dave Chappelle and still remain relevant in those in that 35 year gap is a testament to the genius that was Paul Mooney and just a PS on his testament before you finish this up Mm -hmm. his name will also live forever in the reaction sketch to his line in uh can I say the word Negro Damas, I can yeah. say that, right? Yeah, okay. Negro, yeah. Okay, I want the, the yeah, context. Yeah. I'm like, I don't want to be that okay. guy where everybody's like, "What did he say?" I'm like, "No, but no. We're, it's the, <laughs> the um, name of his character was Negro Damas." But when he says, when he says that line about Wayne Brady, and then that sketch later with Wayne Brady, where he's yes. just terrorizing Dave all he's night. Training and he, day. Yes, and he yeah. yes, it's training day, but he gets out of the car and, you know, he shoots him in the knee. And as Wade Brady peels out, you just hear Dave go, it was Mooney. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Mooney said, Wayne said, uh, Brian Gumbel makes Wayne Brady look like Malcolm X. 
And that was the, the impetus for the sketch between Wayne Brady and Dave Chappelle, where they just redid Training Day, where Wayne Brady was driving Dave Chappelle around, trying to get him to out of his character, trying to say that, you know, Dave. Oh, man. Black Look actor, like man. Malcolm X, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. I, and we we mentioned Paul Mooney, and he had his own uh, agenda, and it was very outspoken of what he could say. Liberal use of the N-word, which brings us to a guy that probably would have been Paul Mooney's favorite wrestler had he been a wrestling fan. <laughs> Talk someone, about the liberal use of the yeah, N-word. Someone else we lost uh, before his time, and a uh, guy I was close in age with, uh, we lost uh, one of the great wrestlers. Um, someone use that term loosely when it comes to him. Uh, Jerome Young, uh, New Jack, uh, passed away uh, earlier this week at the age of 58, um, a heart attack. Um, you know, he had his own dark side of the ring that we discussed. Uh, New Jack, probably best known for his, his work in ECW and uh, falling off of balconies and coming to the ring with a shopping cart full of weapons, crutches, Guitar is filled with baby powder, so when you hit the guy on the head, it exploded on impact. Uh, I falling love off, that. The, the, falling, the yeah. puff of smoke that would pop up because of the powder. And his, his, uh, his dark side of the ring, uh, for which he was uh, under the influence for the entire time uh, of during that episode, um, it's called the, the Life and Crimes of New Jack, because I don't think there's ever been a professional wrestler that's committed more crimes in the ring and full view of of pub in full view of the the viewing public than anyone uh he will probably i don't know what he'll be more known for the um the almost killing of vic grimes and himself or the almost killing of eric Kulas in the uh mass transit uh incident um neither which should be a full reflection on the uh the career of new jack because what made New Jack uh, something and something we, we're we not going to see again. Just like we mentioned Paul Mooney, we're not going to see that type of comedian again that, that had that insight and that spoke the truth. We're not going to see a wrestler like New Jack again because when he first came on the scene in the early, or the mid-90s, 94, 95, uh, there was no internet. So uh, the only way I heard of New Jack was through tape trading through on VHS when I would go to indie shows or go to ECW arena and there would be VHS tapes from Smoky Mountain, from Japan, from other wrestling organizations because, and but I would see in the wrestling observer and the wrestling tribune and wrestling newsletter, when they have a year end awards in 94, 95, they, they would have best promo and right under like Ric Flair or, or Shawn Michaels or best promo, it'd be new Jack would be in a top five. And like on every list, and I said, who is this guy? I never heard of him. And then I saw the interview. The interview made now, I don't know if it's because he's gone now, but now people are saying maybe the greatest live promo of all time just because of the heat it generated. Because like I said, no one, no wrestler right now was ever going to generate the heat that New Jack did just from one single promo. What are you going to say, Dan? No, I, I, I was going to say um, ECW fans knew. <laughs> yeah, and, and smart fans knew. But for the ones who didn't, for the ones who heard this very loud, outspoken 
intimidating. You know, I, uh, I grew, you know, there was wrestlers, if we you're, you're a kid that struck fear in you, you know, uh, the Sheik, Abdul the Butcher for me, I had nightmares. I was scared of Abdul the Butcher. But for wrestling fans, for a great deal, the person they were afraid of was New Jack. And I was among them because I didn't know what this guy would do. But when he gave his promo, the promo, uh, you, you probably saw a snippet of it. Uh, Dan used it to introduce uh, tonight's episode and put it on my page and his page and everyone's page. <laughs> the young snippet after at the, at the end of <laughs> Listen, calling. it's so good. I was trying <laughs> to offend somebody. <laughs> but call, exactly. That's how you do You're doing well because New Jack talked about all the hillbillies and rednecks that he had to to, to go through. I stepped out of my car and I slipped on tobacco juice for all you people. And lastly, I want to say shout out to OJ Simpson. Keep up the good work. Two less we got to worry about. And uh, to Johnny Cochran and to Snoop Dogg and Malcolm Louis Farrakhan should be president. And watching Bob Caudle Shake that's what make, that's what makes it gold is little old white Bob College going. <laughs> and you remember Bob Caudle, for those of you who don't know, not only was he the longtime uh, uh, commentator for the NWA Crockett and for Smoky Mountain, he was also a former aide to Jesse Helms, who was one of the most conservative guys somewhere between, you know, um, I know Strom Thurmond and the Grand Dragon was Jesse Helms, but that's who Bob <laughs> Caudle mean, was was uh, an aide for. So hearing this black man talk about uh, O.J. Simpson taking fair, out two legs. Farrakhan. Yes. I always forget the Farrakhan Oh, my God. Like, so, holy yes. Shit. Uh, I know I gave you talked about Paul Mooney, but for those of you HIAC wrestling fans, it's still a wrestling show who are not up to date on the, uh, the promos of Jerome Young, New Jack. Give yourself a some time and go through not just that one, which is gold, which I, I get. Just I don't type know. in new Jack yeah, promo just, and go and go. Yeah. And fall down that YouTube hole because I don't know if they're saying it now because he's gone. But that promo may have been the single best one. It's certainly the most memorable because whenever you hear new Jack and when I started trading tapes, it was you got to hear what this guy said about OJ and. That's the, it. We'll, we'll put the him balls on, the on that guy. And let's just and, and let's be frank about New Jack. New Jack was legit. There's a reason yeah. you're scared of the guy. Yeah. New Jack had what? Seven justifiable homicides on his record. Yeah. And maybe a few not justifiable but, homicides yeah. so, on his the, record. The ones that we know about. Yeah. The ones that and, we know about where we actually found the bodies. <laughs> um, the dude was a legit. Na- I don't want to say nasty because he was cool with people who was cool with him. Yeah. He was a guy. We talk about Paul Mooney not giving a shit when somebody yeah. had a problem. Yeah. He didn't care who you were, promoter wise, uh, wrestler wise, care if you were. If you had a problem with New Jack, you knew you had a problem with New Jack. Um, yeah. Just the sidebar. And he didn't do anything to Dean, but Dean loves telling the story. When we did WrestleFest, uh-huh. uh, and New Jack was one of the guests. And Dean would do the rounds to all the tail. King Kong Bundy was there. Raven, yeah. Sandman, yeah. Uh, uh, Vi- uh, 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 Virgil was there. Uh, it was called a Vincent because <laughs> who cares? Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, you know, he's just doing the rounds. And then he'd come up and say, King Kong Bundy. And King Kong Bundy was having a great time. Raven and Sandman were kind of, uh, but every time we walked up to New Jack, 
New Jack looked like he was going to kill him. And I think New Jack was just being New Jack because he was cool yeah. with me. Hey, how you doing? Hey, <laughs> how you doing? But and then I, I was like, I'm going to go over here because <laughs> I'm not going to say the wrong thing. There's two. I'll tell there's a sidebar because right. there's two people that I would not say anything about no matter what. And New Jack was one of them. Now that he's dead, I'm going to say, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but every time he walked by, he just felt eyes uh, yeah. staring daggers at him. Like, why are you telling them, leave me alone? I'm like, it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. The only other person that I was ever actually intimidated by meeting them mm-hmm. was Nick Gage. Yeah. And Nick Gage walks up to me and goes, how you doing? I've heard some shit about you, motherfucker. I ain't going to mess with you. And I was like, okay. Hey, nice to meet you. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck. I'm, okay, I'll take it. Whoever told you what, I'll take it. And he probably said that to everybody, but yeah. I'm, I'll take that versus yeah. but New Jack said hi to me. I said hi to him and I was like, hey, there's New Jack over there. I'm going to go to my table now. Yeah, um, uh, New I'm Jack kidding. was not a, a great wrestler. But for what he was supposed to do, mm-hmm. he was the best at it. Um, yeah, he was also the best at missing tables sometimes. But uh, there's that yeah. one later on. I think it's against Tommy Dreamer where it's not it's not at the arena, so they don't have the right balcony, and he tries to do that table drop, and they both miss, but his head misses everything. Yeah, and you just hear smack on camera. You're like, well, I mean, he's dead, right? He's, yeah. he's not dead. That was his last match, yeah. I think it was. I think that yeah. was his last actual, because I don't think he's wrestled an actual match where he was in the ring throwing yeah. things at people for a few years. He did an yeah. occasional spot here and there, and I do want to bring this up before we continue. Yeah. So I don't want you to think that I'm just doing this because he's dead. No. Um, him and his son had outs. Um. His son came out really? and uh, he disowned him for a while. Really? I'm, I'm, take this ride with me, sir. Okay. okay. He disowned him for a while. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, you don't know what that does to a kid. You yeah. just yeah. don't know what that does to a, a father or a kid, whatever oh. your side is on. You know, I, you know, of course, it doesn't matter what the father thinks as long as the person's happy in their own skin. Right. Does it matter? As long as we're on the same page. But yeah. there is a little bit of there is there is estrangement for years. Okay. Well, uh, by the way, if you go to Washi Heights, that is their Twitter page. Um, New Jack's son, mm-hmm. and they tweeted the other day. My dad's wife told me he watched my performances as Paris is bumping, who we've sponsored. Yeah. And at Polyam Cult Party Three, and he was proud of me, and he wanted to fix things, but he didn't know how. I forgive him for everything, and I hope wherever he is, he forgives me. I finally at peace. Wow. And posted a picture of New Jack. Wow. Yeah, so because a lot of people, rightfully so, were like, well, he's kind of garbage to his own kids. I mean, Mm -hmm. but I sat and I watched what is the son going to say? Yeah. And uh, I, my thoughts are with uh, with uh washi and uh his family because uh there's a lot of stuff they're gonna have to deal with in the last couple of the next couple of weeks yeah uh but i'm i am glad that they found that that they, yeah, was, they found I, it's unfortunate it happened after he died yeah 
uh, and I and I say this, I was like, yeah, heart attack's probably the way I thought he was gonna go. Yeah, yeah, <sighs> heart attack or homicide. Well, no, uh, I don't think anybody was bad. It's like the Soprano, Tony Soprano thing. Yeah, it's like I don't think anybody was bad enough. No. They'd have to wait till he was ninety, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, so I was like, it's gonna be heart. <laughs> I got heart, heart trouble. Yeah. Yeah. I well, Dean and I had similar um interactions with uh new jack um, yeah yeah see now new jack was um when i <laughs> when i started frequenting uh pro wrestling unplugged at the arena oh no and uh he came out i'll give you three uh, my three interactions with new jack okay uh when they uh we had they had an after saturday afternoon card and they brought in some big it was the first time i saw samoa joe Oh wow! Yeah. Uh, yeah, live, and he I think he went up against Corporal Punishment, and uh, but it was great. And Christopher Daniels, first time I saw him live, and they had a uh, a uh, I think it was all money's legal, and they were uh, which, which was the a black tag team that uh, the WWF stole the concept for, and they called them Crime Time, but that's a whole yeah. other story. But uh, another I think story were, for another podcast. Yeah, they were getting beat up, and then all of a sudden, the opening riff to "Natural Born Killers" by Dre and Ice Cube hit, and the place went nuts because no one had seen or heard from New Jack, hadn't been in the arena in at least eight years at that point since the end of ECW. So the place goes crazy. I go nuts, and I'm with my phalanx of white people, and I'm telling them, "Put your arms like this." Trust me. And put them, yeah. <laughs> And so we did that. And so we and New Jack course clears the ring and he tell, lifts up his fallen black comrade and said, um, I'm here and I'm yeah here to make a difference. OK, and I'm doing it in front of all these white people over here and you know, all these white people out here. All these white, Wait a minute. Are there, are there any N words here? And I'm already standing on my chair and he looks right at me, looks at me and points to me and goes one. Because I'm a count. He looks right at me, goes one, and then he stops because <laughs> he couldn't find anymore. I'm mean, there were others, but he couldn't see them. But <laughs> that's my first interaction. That's my first interaction with New Jack. He he looked at me. He was counting all the n words in the audience. He looked right at me and said, "All right, there's one." <laughs> that sounds about right. That's about right. That's New um, Jack for you. There, yeah, there's he, a perfect summation to New Jack. Uh, uh, another time. And this was, he started an angle with these, with the guys, he said, because he said, and when he came out and said, I'm arrive at y'all till the wheels fall off. And if the wheels fall off, we're going to pick up that some bitch and carry that bitch. Right. Like, oh, hey, New Jack's going to be here for a while. Uh, and so when I was going to PW, started picking up steam and we had good crowds. And every month we go down there and every month I would still do the same thing I'd always do uh, when I went down to ECW Arena. At uh, first, I, in the mid-90s, I was buying VHS tapes or to trade. Now it's DVDs. So I got a whole bunch of DVDs, and I on the, went to the DVD table, and I set them aside on the table, and I went to get my money. And then this huge, heavy gym bag just landed right on the DVDs that I just put on the table that I was going to buy and just had crushed them all. And I looked, and I went, what the fuck, man? I looked up. And it's New Jack, and I, that left this heavy gym bag on my DVDs, and suddenly I wasn't as mad. <laughs> just, just, yeah, it's like boom. What the? Mm-hmm. 
and wait till he did his <laughs> in and got my in. He didn't even move his bag. I just kind of like eased him out from underneath this because in the bag he had a heavy ass chain. Yeah. Now, me and my group, the PW Click guys, uh, shout out to uh, Maz, Asani, Gid, and First Lady Allison, uh, we sit ringside every month. Uh, and we'd always be cool with all the rest of the came by, Healer Faith. They knew us, we knew them. So, uh, True Blood, Devin, uh, Devin True Moore. Blood. Yeah. Um, Trent, Acid, Johnny, yeah. all, I mean, too, Scorpio, too cold, always come by, say hi to us, give us dabs, just, you know, pose for pictures, all that stuff. New Jack came by, <laughs> walked right by me, <laughs> didn't do a thing. And uh, I found out what was in his bag and why it was so heavy. He had a heavy chain. Uh, a guy was giving him some guff in the front row, which because New Jack still got heat, even if he was a face. But he had this big, heavy chain, like a from a battleship, and on the that end of it was a big, huge metal hook. Oh man! And he come to the ring with it, and somebody was yelling at him, so he took the chain and he threw it. To the hook went all the way out, but he threw it in such a way. Now, this is really scary because he obviously knows how long it is yeah. and when to jerk it back. He threw it at the guy, and it came right up to his nose, and he yanked it back. And, of course, the guy sat down and in fear, and this is all right in front of me. The guy was here. I'm at ringside. He was on the other side of the, of the, um, the turnbuckle post. He threw the chain the length of the ring. Almost hit the guy in the nose and yanked it back. And the guy's sitting down, afraid he almost lost his nose. And New Jack is just cracking up laughing. <laughs> Funny thing he ever saw. A month later, now, because he's figured into the into the uh, the, the PW now. He's in the storylines and stuff. Um, we're watching the matches. The matches are already going on. We're in, like, second or third match. We hear New Jack's here. Like, great. That's not that's good because you know he's wrestling, but he's figuring into one of the main events tonight. Um, and the re- match was going on, I think it was um, uh, Teddy Fine and uh, Detox were in the ring, having a really good match. And there's commotion in the we're in the soda store where they're selling refreshments and big commotion, and people are running, and then people are running away, and then they're in a rest hold. But then the referee tells them, guys, just go, go right to the end because this is going to get, we don't want to get distracted because they're taping this for the internet. Back then, the only way you could watch PW back then was on, you know, on your computer. They sold DVDs to watch. Uh, I found out after the match, like, what, what's going on? Or New Jack got into a fight. Well, what happened? Either he asked for a Sprite and they only had seven up, or he asked for a seven up and they gave him Sprite. One of the two. Either way, New Jack didn't like it, yelled at someone, got into a fight, and he left. It's like, oh, okay. So, uh, so he'll, he'll be coming back. No, mm-hmm. he's gone. No, he's not coming no, back. He's in the second, he's in the co-main event, right? No, gone. So, yeah, those are my... And that was his, the end of his days in the Pro Wrestling Unplugged. Yes. Yes. Yeah. No. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> my when I told my buddy Dave, who was there with me at the time, when I he was, a, I had to tell him that New Jack was gone, 
And uh, he texted me back, well, I hope they have Sprite in heaven. <laughs> well, we're going to well, find out soon. You know, <laughs> or wherever he's going. But, um, yeah. And also, if you're a wrestling fan, the HIC Talk Radio fan, if you if you remember the um, the documentary Beyond the Mat, where uh, that's the first time we got to see the private side of New Jack because, you know, he was trying out uh, for some movie roles. But he got to see uh, – we got – see the other side of him or the personal side of Jerome Young. He was showing the camera you see these two knuckles? No you don't because they're gone because I broke them on some bitch's face mm-hmm. were his words. So yeah, um, yeah that's that's the, the New Jack said that not Craig. Yes this is the, the, from the words from Jerome Young but uh, New Jack uh, Jerome Young uh, the better part of his life found peace uh, he was married and had children um, too so uh, whatever, and the, the 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 amount of testimonies that people had about him, uh, and similar with Paul Mooney, if you had a problem with him, and there was a lot of people that did, you had a good reason, but the people that didn't have a problem with him, Tommy Dreamer spoke lovingly of him. D'Lo had nothing but kind words to say about him. Jim Cornette had nothing but good things to say about him. And the, the beef that well. I thought they had, well, the beef that I, <laughs> that I thought they had and he cleared it up was because of Paul Lee. Paul Lee was the one who told. Oh yeah, that's right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Them to, you know, cause he's like, can I have the, the, the gangsters? And he, Paul Lee was the one who told him to leave early. And uh, the Jim Cornette said this and Cornette didn't say, hadn't said a word. And they had, had made up about 10 years uh, later. And you could see when, I think when the, Cornette was going to do a shoot interview and then in come in why the can't come, we, we be friends friend. yeah yeah so you see they, jim looks scared for a second just a second yeah. yes there's a split second <laughs> where if you pause you see jim go uh-oh and then when he hugs him he realizes oh i'm gonna live today <laughs> like, <laughs> i get to yes i get to breathe again yes uh, but but there but the 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 beef between uh Cornette and uh new jack was not uh, not a personal one. It was a, a, a business one, and it was Paul Lee causing problems. Lee. What are yeah. you talking about? What are the odds of that? Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, but uh, we we lost someone. The the type of your a wrestler is not going to get heat like that any again ever. You not are never that. going to see any of that happen no. ever again. And I'm not even talking about the race baiting uh, or the 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 the, the his delivery of, of the angry black man but just someone who can get heat from a crowd no matter the crowd you're not going to see that again from especially not in the way that a guy like new jack could because he wasn't you know he wasn't six foot nine 320 pounds and i cover the grounds i walked on like an ernie lad and he he he's not a charismatic if you smell what the rock is cooking guy he is a five foot ten scarred up beaten up real n-word who says exactly what he feels like saying and to anyone who wants to to listen you want to pay me to be a wrestler i'll be a wrestler but you know goddamn well that ain't who i am you want me to beat someone up i'll do the job for free that's uh who new jack was that's who jerome young was and what he meant to the world of professional wrestling in a very short time you know, we can play the what if game. Had the uh, the the Attitude Era uh, had in '98. Had that been around earlier, or had the the Gangsters been still a team by the by '98 by the Attitude Era? 
I think they could have fit right in to that pushing the envelope type of deal. I would have paid untold amounts of money that I didn't even have to hear <laughs> New Jack cut a promo on DX <laughs> or, <laughs> or just on, on Triple H alone. Um, Man. But uh, it wasn't meant to be. And like with, with Paul Mooney, you know, people always wanted you with New Jack, why he never made it to the big two. I I don't think he would have uh, – I, I don't think that was his uh, his main goal. I don't – I think he's just as successful being New Jack, not in the big two. I think Paul Mooney not being a mainstream success suited him just fine, and I'm sure it suited New Jack just fine. You know, his vice – Paul vices, Mooney and New Jack did not suffer in that way. No. No. And like I said, it's, it's bitterly ironic that we lost them both in the same week because those are two very similar people in their chosen professions that did things exactly the way they wanted to, said things exactly the way they wanted to say them, and created so much buzz and humor, getting people talking about it, and getting people to pay to see them. Uh, that they both did uh, almost better than anyone in their in their respective era. So. Uh, Jerome Young, New Jack, uh, and HIAC Talk Radio fans, we've given you enough homework to do tonight. Uh, do a Paul Mooney, New Jack double feature, uh, and just listen to, <laughs> to bless you, to, <laughs> to <Bless> very, <laughs> to very focused, well-spoken black men, uh, and you'll have made your night a very adventurous one, if you so choose. But you'll come out different after this. You'll come out a much, <laughs> a much different person if you if you if you give yourself the Paul Mooney New Jack experience. Yes, you will. Now, now that Craig has done the sir, uh, the, um, <laughs> the the whatever the the, uh, the what the the word what's the wow well. Whoa. I've ruined the line anyway, <laughs> so it doesn't matter. The, uh, the, what's the, I was going to say transition. That's segue. Segue. Whoa. Yeah, well, the line's dead, so never mind. I'm taking the show back over. So <laughs> back from the morbid and the dead, but the awesome, to the regular news that is w, that is pro wrestling, not even WWE. I have AEW. Well, you know what? I'll do WWE first. Okay. Now, we're not going to get into the private thoughts and um, ideas of one Drake Younger, uh, formerly known as Drake Younger, uh, Drake Wirtz, uh, the WWE referee. Mm -hmm. um, QAnon is the word I'm, but we're going to, we're not going to get into all of that. Mm -hmm. That speaks for itself. He's, he's, he's gone off the deep end. He's, he's Drake. Our little Drake Younger is gone and he's not coming back. Um, but Drake works. Uh, Alexander Wolf, Kavita Devi, uh, Brandy Lauren, who is Skylar Story, uh -huh. Jake Clemens, Ezra Judge, Jessamyn Duke, and Vanessa Bourne have all been released by the WWE today. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason that Ezra Judge was released is because he tried to kill Drake. <laughs> Yeah, for for the okay, same so things that I was talking about before, yeah, and it, and I'm not talking politically. I uh, that's got nothing to do with it. Whatever. Mm -mm. Uh, but he was being he. Here's the other. There's a couple of things about Drake. Uh, very he was loudly anti-vax. It's not like a regular yeah. vaccinate where I don't want to get the vax. Cool. 
he was like, you shouldn't get the vax. And you got the vax, you're stupid. Oh, uh, I don't like you because of this. He was that kind of way. Yeah. He had cut off all the relationships that he had or made. Mm-hmm. He had no allies anymore. He yeah. walked out of a meeting, stormed out of a meeting with Triple H. Yes. And apparently said something to the effect where Ezra Judge felt like he was going to murder the man. Yeah. Not going to say, not going to allude to anything, but do your own homework on that one, folks. Um, so it is what it is. Now that I've set that up. Why the fuck did the WWE do a billion dollar deal to get rid of the good WWE network, do a clusterfuck version on Peacock, and still release over 20 wrestlers in the, within a calendar month. Can someone please fucking explain that to me? Because past all that bullshit, they got a, they did that deal and they're still releasing people. And it kind of pisses me off. Not only did these people lose their jobs, but we have a pissant version of the network that kind of works now for all that money for nothing. And it pisses me off, quite frankly. I can tell what and what pisses me off, uh, not only for that, for the amount of people that have lost their job, despite the influx of, of cash and surplus that the WWE has gotten from the Peacock deal. And the fact that Samoa Joe and Mickey James are still gone, which makes no sense. Oh, thank God we got Avery Marie back. Yes, that that balances the scales. Uh, but the only thing, the thing that pisses me off more than all that is how, why it took so long for them to get rid of Drake the word. <laughs> he was, he was, a, he was very, he was a proud, proud boy that was in his Twitter handle. Again, I want to keep politics at, we yeah, are not yeah, okay. talking about, right? No, 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 no. no you're, what you're saying is completely fine. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about Democratic, I'm not talking about Democrats or Republicans. Mm-hmm. I'm We're way about, beyond that. Yeah, shit. yeah. We're, but well, I'm talking about the type of person that this, yes. this WWE employed. Because he was basically only, wearing a white hood. Yes. And not only was he wearing the white hood, but he would he was also a church. He was one of those religious nuts. He was a church going guy. He was leader of his church. And not only was he an anti-vaxxer, he didn't want you to wear a mask because his fear was if you wear a mask, that means that it's easier. He didn't want kids. He didn't want his kids to wear a mask. Now he's got two kids. He didn't want them or any kids wearing a mask because, in his words, kids are wearing masks. It makes it easier for child predators to grab them. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot so, about that. Yeah. So, and he did this. He um he he had a Zoom meeting with his church. That he was talking to his church goers and church constituents. It at the performance center. While he was wearing, he was wearing the, the company, the, yes. the, the company logo. That's what you you don't do. Even if I'm, if if you're a church going guy, and I'm talking about wanting to have you know same sex couples be married and everyone to live in harmony, I'm still on company time wearing my your your WWE's ref uniform. That's what you don't do. I don't care what the message was. He was a bad employee. That's my that was my problem with Jake Younger, why he was still there for as long as he was. It reminds me of uh, Adam, Co- uh, Adam Kovic, uh-huh. uh, part of a, a, a show I watch. Uh, they put out podcasts, gameplay videos, produce different shows called right. Funhouse. He was fired from Funhouse this year. 
okay. this past year during COVID. Adam Kovic is one of the guys that got me to start doing this on top of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Adam Kovic was masturbating at work and near other people's desks that he worked with and all that kind of stuff. At the same time, another employee, because they're owned by Rooster Teeth. Yeah. Another employee with Rooster Teeth was uh, soliciting young uh, men and women for sex and that kind of thing on their time. And people were like, well, why is Adam losing his job? He's not a pedophile. He was still on company time jerking off at people's (laughs) desks. That's against company policy. Whether it's illegal or not is irrelevant. This 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 consequence thing, I don't think that we're on the same page, not you and I, but it's like, well, yeah. uh, why did Twitter do this or why did this company do that? Because it's still a publicly run company who makes their own fucking decisions. Yeah. I uh, Do I agree with all of it? No, no. I love Adam Kovic. Wish he still had a job. He was still being a, yeah. <laughs> a sex freak <laughs> on company time. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Ah, oh, Drake, Drake, Drake. I had such high fo- hopes for you, son. Yeah, I did not. And now Drake was another guy that I met during my travels in PW when he was, you know, Drake Younger. And uh, don't I uh, have, uh, he was always cool to, cool to me. I saw him after a match. It is when he was uh, in CZW. You know, great guy. Thank me for coming out. But, you know, that it's, you don't really know a guy until you know a guy but but him showing up on um on the on wwnxt uh in blackface should have been a uh well an indicator yeah i guess that should have been yeah that's a good point huh and and the, the fans who don't know it's not, it wasn't blackface but he is the worst bronzer i've ever seen in my life that he only got his face and not his ears or his neck he just looked like he was doing a mini al jolson light impression i just that always rubbed me the wrong way I mean, they rubbed him the wrong way. Thank you very much. We're here all week, folks. All right, thank you. Uh, now, let's end this this part of the show on a little happier news. Please. Uh, well, happier depending on what side you're on. <laughs> <laughs> so the AEW has announced a move and an expansion. Mm-hmm. So not only are they moving to TBS in 2022, they're adding a show, a third show to go against Friday Night SmackDown which will be called Rampage. Rampage! Starting August 13th on TNT. Which makes sense since they have all these wrestlers they're doing nothing with. So so at least instead of hearing about a shutdown, we're hearing about an expansion. I guess at least. Okay. Uh, um, How do you feel about that? And I'll tell you how I feel. Uh, you know, I listen. <laughs> it 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 goes back to all the things we've said thus far, where they have all these people sign and they don't know what to do with them. So you know, yeah, they're going to go for it while they still can, and while they're still in the good graces of the Turner Company, which we all know doesn't last very long in wrestling, uh, they can add the third show and give it another shot. I think the rate. I don't want to argue. I don't want to bring ratings into it in that way, because as you and I know, we talk about ratings as a far cry from where we used to talk <laughs> about to it. Be, yeah. However, if Turner's happy, if the networks are happy, you know, we're talking about all these releases, of the WWE, if the networks yeah. are happy and there's somewhere for someone to go, 
I'm happy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I. Uh, there's a lot of things have changed in the last few months. Uh, I'm not being so trolly on tw- uh, social media anymore. Um, not see- like tongue in cheek. I'll still yeah. do tongue in tongue in cheek, joking around with people I know. But you know, I'm not tweeting at Aubrey Huff telling him to go sniff paint or whatever he does. <laughs> um, I don't. I don't have time for it. Man, I don't care anymore. Um, and it's the same thing with this this Wednesday night war that wasn't really a war thing. I, I'll enjoy what I enjoy. I get no ratings from arguing or bitching about it on this show. Yeah. I don't get any attention from arguing with some guy with 400 followers with an avatar of a wrestler and a <laughs> unicorn cover photo and all these positive messages that curses everybody out that doesn't like AEW. I don't have time to argue with that anymore. Mm-hmm. If I like it, I look forward to seeing what they do with it, quite frankly. Okay. Uh, being that they have uh, to, to add to our conversation, being that they have all these wrestlers that they're doing nothing with and they get an extra hour, I better not see more of the same fucking people on there. Your thoughts, Mr. Uh, Mr. I, you know what? They, they do such a piss poor job of advertising their other, the, uh, their other shows they have. I'm apparently there. There is a YouTube dark, their AEW dark. AEW dark. Yeah. I'll check it yeah. out every now and then because most of the yeah. people I want to see are on there. <laughs> well, why not? Why not promote that on your, sh- on your network show to get people to watch? Or why not? You have an angle on your YouTube show and have the, the setup on your network show. So I'm, my thing is you don't even promote the other show that you do have on YouTube, which I, I assume that's where Paul White is um, and why you wouldn't have the biggest guy on your show, literally and figuratively, <laughs> on, on your network, I don't, I, you know, I don't know. So, them getting another show, uh, great. Um, they don't do it, but they don't do anything with the uh, with the other show that they do have, as far as promoting it or doing anything worthwhile of substance on it to get people to watch it. I haven't seen one episode of of AEW Dark on YouTube because I got no reason to. They show the little results on the bottom of the. Uh, on the Wednesday night show, who won this or who won that, but why not start an angle or have something happen, anything happen on the AEW to get people anything to watch. at all? Yeah, either or even if not yet, or just simple promote it. Don't forget to watch AEW Dark. This when new episodes come up on this date on YouTube, and you see the continuation of this angle or this person's going to debut here. Um, so. Them adding a new show, them moving to TBS and then adding a new show. Uh, good for them. Um, hey, more wrestling on network TV. Never thought I'd say that in a sarcastic tone. You know, I, I hope it catches eventually. I hope they sure. they finally figure it out because, you know, at the same week WWE had zombies. They had uh-huh. Jericho who just fell into fell on cardboard. Yeah. Mentioning the zombies. I was like, whoa, glass houses. Yeah. <laughs> And you know, I don't get that angry about Jericho anymore. Mm-hmm. I assume it's a work because they just did their thing on the network with Stone Cold. I'm like, it's just not everything's personal. No. Kelly said, not everything in wrestling is personal. Sometimes just wrestler being a wrestler to get the reaction to the other wrestler, and they're texting each other, going, "What are you going to say?" I'll say this: it's 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 wrestling. I really hope. I really hope you know what will give the shot in the arm to the business. If the WWE gets beat up again, yeah, that needs to happen. So I kind of hope for it. Well, speaking of beat up, my my concern with AEW right now is if they're going to have anyone healthy enough to compete because the way they're dropping <laughs> on the AEW yeah. with their careless work, 
I watched the Ricky Stark match where oh. he where he broke his neck, and I saw that, and he popped right up like it was nothing. I think, and I'm watching that. Then had to hurt. I was like, I know he's a professional. He's in, in tremendous shape. But my God, that was a sick landing. But oh, he's got a fractured neck. Wow. Okay. And the same thing with last week with uh, Orange Cassidy being dropped right on his head. And we knew he was hurt because the referee knew he was hurt because he was on his knees and talking to the guy. And then went through a picture and picture and all that stuff. But the guy's hurt. You know, call the, I know it's live TV and everything. But call the match. And Jericho, you just mentioned, fell off the uh, the uh, into a crash pad um, and glassed out. Of it, but he still dislocated his elbow. The same one he did when he was in Smoky Mountain all those years ago. Um, so I, my concern with AEW is, is uh, them having a healthy enough roster to have two shows. Because the way they're, they're, they're being so careless in the ring now, um, they're not going to have a whole lot Maybe they'll maybe that's creating spots for the wrestlers they don't use. But if they're going to keep being this careless, they really don't need another show. They need to concentrate on the show that they do have and work safer. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Uh, I'll hope it. I hope it'll catch. I hope it'll catch. Yeah. And by then we'll have people in the audience. They'll be shooting live shows in front yeah, of. That's be happening people. soon. They, they have tickets. They have dates. They have ticket sales on. It, it's a. Uh... We're on the full go. You know what? Quite frankly, I'm here for it. We're we're here. We're live. We're you want to wear a mask? Well, getting, getting more than you know. As, uh, <laughs> as long as we get rid of the Thunderdome, I'm fine because I'm. So oh, I'm so tired of it. I'm over it. I'm I'm good. You know. Oh, tired. Of I'm supportive of it because of the times, but it's like, let's go, let's go. And you know, with the WrestleMania at the stadium, and then going right back to it, I was like, ooh, ooh, that's not good. <laughs> Hey, gentlemen and ladies, the HIEC Talk Radio viewing and listening public. Hello, my name is Craig McGonz, and with me as always is my tag team partner, Dan Kalachico. We're going to go back in time, back when this shit made sense. Uh, back when uh, there was wrestling, professional wrestling in arenas and coliseums and high school gymnasiums all around the world. Same song. Uh, without fear of social distancing or masks, we could sit next to the, our people that we love and to watch their favorite sport that we love when titles were called belts, where uh, hospital, medical facilities were called hospitals, uh, and we're watching a show on wrestling show on network television actually meant something because people watched and people know you watched and people cared that you watched and you got to talk about it with people that saw it the very next day and it made sense this gentlemen and ladies is the wrestling historian uh we're gonna start back on may 17th um a big date in monday night it was our memorable monday night raw on that day monday um may 17th 1993 um I, all in one card i remember yokozuna defeated kamala Two uh, legendary super heavyweights that are sadly no longer with us, uh, but they put on a hell of a show in our first and only meeting that they ever had. Uh, combined, I think about a thousand eighty pounds were in the ring at the same time between Damn. those two guys. Yeah, uh, but uh, Yokozuna went over a Kamala, uh, the one, two, three Kamikaze Cannonball Kid. Uh, <laughs> Sean Waltman had gone through a couple of name changes. 
uh, after he debuted in the WWF. None of them got over the Cannonball Kid, the Kamikaze Kid. Well, after he defeated Razor Ramon on this date, May 17, 1993, he became the one, two, three kid. And uh, that will begin his uh, push to the mid-card level, but more importantly, his push to the um, best friend status with uh, Shawn Michaels, Triple H, Scott Hall, the man he defeated, and Kevin Nash, and to form the clique later on. But that was his first big win on WWF. And on that self-same Monday Night Raw, Shawn Michaels would lose his Intercontinental Championship to his former tag team partner, Marty Jannetty. And that would be the first and only singles win in Marty Jannetty's entire illustrious career that took place May 17th, 1993. Unrelated. I would like to say a live, because he asked live, live on YouTube to our friend at Fourth Line Voice, who is a huge wrestling fan. I got a lot of uh, shoots from him. Mm-hmm. Like we're, we were tape traders, like we are tape okay. traders back in the day from uh, Fourth Line Voice. And if you're into old school hockey fights, and I mean, not just from the NHL, baby, yeah. from the AHL, from the IHL, from the senior leagues, the junior leagues, and any league in between in hockey, go to his YouTube page, Fourth Line Voice, okay, and check him out. He upload he'll upload like three or four at a time, four or five at a time, and you get to spend a nice twenty minutes of watching hockey players uh, also play hockey, but mostly just beat the holy hell out of each other. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Fourth Line Voice. Hell yeah, uh, uh, my boy Dan. I, boy Dan. I wanted to mention this date uh, in uh, Wrestling Historian about Marty Jannetty defeating uh, Shawn Michaels for the Intercontinental title uh, because on the heels of uh, Shawn Michaels, it was Shawn Michaels' turn this past uh, Sunday for his AME biography uh, about his life and career. And, uh, you know, I, I've poo-pooed it, uh, to use that word, because they, they focus on the big, you know, the, the names we know and the stories we know. And... But uh, just like with uh, with Booker T and, and Steve Austin and people I thought I knew really well, I knew Shawn Michaels' uh, story and his career well. Um, but to hear it from his side and to hear how he and Jannetty got together and uh, their time in the AWA, and they show a lot of AWA footage, which surprised me. And um, their, their one time in the WWF where they pissed everyone off and they were fired the next day. Uh, and the, between the time they were in the, on the WWF, when they became the WWF, uh, we can see, and Sean was very candid, which was the one thing that did surprise me about his drug use. And he tried pretty much every drug known to man, and he <laughs> didn't go into them because it's only a two-hour show. But, um, uh, and, and, you know, and that Janetti was right there with him when he did it. And he could see how the, the toll it took on Janetti is a lot worse than it took on Michaels. Uh, Marty Janetti did not look good. He was missing a tooth. He was, um, yeah, just kind of check out weird. his Facebook page. Sometimes you really want to be horrified. Yeah. yeah. Well, it also, you remember it was, it was late last year or it might've been earlier this year. We thought he was dead or we thought that he was, uh, we thought he was dead. He admitted to, um, the killing a hooker, or something. Uh, killing a hooker. <laughs> he was having sex with an underage person. Yeah. I mean, Marty was Marty's on another planet at this point. Yeah, but so I was, I was very, it was very fortunate they were able to uh, get to track him down. Or unfortunate because now the feds know where he is. 
yes, to track him down from his busy schedule to uh, to to talk about Shawn Michaels in this A E biography. But it was uh, it, for for those of you who haven't seen it, it's really good. Um, also we got to see another look at the Montreal screw job. Uh, in this scenario, it's Vince as the heel and Shawn is the put upon hero that was just doing what's what's best. And the, re- <laughs> the, re- the revisionist history, Dan, is what gets me because they're all saying, even Undertaker was saying, well, you know, they had to get the belt off of Brett because they didn't want him to appear on Monday Nitro that Monday with the belt. That wasn't going to happen. Uh, even if Brett had gone about it the right, even if he had dropped the belt to Sean, he was not going to be on Nitro that Monday at all. They did. It's not they didn't trust Brett. They didn't trust Eric Bischoff. Because if Brett had done everything right, they couldn't and and had not dropped the belt. They couldn't trust that Eric Bischoff wouldn't come on Monday night. <laughs> I and wouldn't say, have trusted Bischoff either. Hey, we just signed the, the current reigning WWF champion to a contract here in WCW. That's what they didn't trust. They put it all on Brett. Like he was going to show up on Brett Hart was not going to show up on Monday night after Montreal. That was not going to happen. So, but the, the the revisionist history for that particular still gets me. But um, May seventeenth, nineteen ninety three, Marty Jannetty won the first and only singles title of his career on that day. Go ahead. Just real quick about the screw job. Yeah. Let's call it like it is. Mm-hmm. Three or four hotheads with the egos the size of Jupiter, trying to figure out what to do, because one is not going to pay the other anymore and the other one's a dickhead yeah <laughs> and i'm talking about this man and sean michael and bret hart's not innocent in any of this yeah. and i know wrestling because uh, now we have three versions out there well four we have the <laughs> wwf version we have the wrestling with shadows version we have the a e biography which is kind of the wwe version with sean michaels and you have the dark side of the ring version where scott hall tries to say it's a work right i love scott hall to death no number one Number two, Vince is kind of the least heelish, but then the most heelish of all of this, because obviously he wants to put his company first. And they just saw him put the WWF ladies title, which you put in the garbage long before Medusa did by having three people ever fight for it in the 90s. Yeah. Um, You have Shawn Michaels, who admittedly and knowingly by everyone else, was a garbage person at this point. Yeah. Who flat out told Brett, I'm never going to do the same for you. And of course, when the opportunity comes, Brett's going to go, fuck this guy. <laughs> he said, I'm not going to I'm not working with this schmuck. Yeah. And of course, cooler heads weren't going to prevail. Mm-mm. This was the only way out of it. And as Cornette explained, the way Cornette explained it and the way Vince did it was completely botched. Yeah. Because it <laughs> was my favorite quote about that. He's supposed to look like, make it look like a screw job, but not know that he was involved. He didn't do any of that. <laughs> it was please. It was pretty much ring the bell. I did it. Oh, I got spit in the face. So yeah. either way, either spin on it. Brett still looks like the least guilty party of all of it. Yeah. I mean, I understand people like, well, you should have just, but if I'm getting hounded by this shithead at work yeah, and I have the power to say, I'm not doing it, mm-hmm. I'm going to be a better prick and not do it because the guy's an asshole. 
Yeah. And, but I and do just, like he got a whole chunk of his hair out of his head. Yeah. <laughs> and the and the fact and and Jim Cornette even said it, you know, it's that we were all on Brett's side. Sean was the prick. Yeah. You know. But you know, they, they also had to, to get the belt off him. But that and is they, correct. Uh, and all the scenarios that Brett proposed, they didn't like. So Brett was like, Well, I'm all out of ideas then. Is my girl Whisper in it? Uh yeah. Because what? it Okay. Yes, because because it was, and they made Sean like it's kind of like a prince thing, you know. Sean's watching Nitro and he goes, "I'll, I'll, I want her." No, no, her it was me. Kevin. It yeah. was Kevin that was like, "Yo, Sean." <laughs> yeah. yeah, and and quite frankly, yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah. yeah, yeah. If I had the power to look at someone on TV and say, "Yeah, I like her," and you know, next thing Can you I know, have her number later, and I have it, then of course, especially but her. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I and yeah, so they did mention that. They even showed, you know, the actual episode that Shawn Michaels first saw her on, uh, that prompted the phone call. But um, they could have shown I, either; it would have been the same. Yeah, I I thought it was interesting, uh, and I'm gonna get back to the story in a second, folks. But uh, I just want to comment on the uh, A and E biography on Shawn Michaels. That uh, when Shawn Michaels took his ball and ran and left, and uh, was gone for, for three years uh, because of the back surgery that he got when he bumped in the Undertaker's casket and he couldn't go anymore. Well, when you know it, once WCW was no more and there was no reason for Vince McMahon to pay Sean not to leave to go to WCW, what do you know who suddenly was miraculously healthy again and healthy enough to wrestle? Shawn Michaels. What are the odds of that? And, um, <laughs> and back he comes and yeah. So I lost oh, my say. smile and I don't know when I'm going to find it again. I got to find my smile. Ah. All right. Well, well I, love, I love Sean, but yeah. He knows uh, he was a dick. Yeah. And he, and that's what one of the things that this uh, biography really showed him is Sean owning up to his, uh, his past uh, behavior and his transgressions and, um, even Triple H to the point where he was being a babysitter. Like I had to set an alarm to go to Sean's room, turn him over his side, and make sure he didn't choke to death on his own vomit in his sleep, and you know, pretty much babysit the guy. So my that, favorite story—it's probably not on this—is Kevin in the biography. Yeah, new Kevin or old stuff? I think it was the same Kevin day uh, when he was talking about Randy Savage. I think it was, right, but it's same. recently. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, you probably find it on YouTube and not to make light of a drug issue, but one of my favorite stories, and this is when Triple H is kind of like brand new to the click mm-hmm. and he's the designated driver and they go to that Howard Johnson with it's full of cops. Yeah. And they just dropped a bunch of uh, Somas or Xanax. Yeah. And it's Scott going, do I look fucked up? Cause you get the shake, <laughs> but the story of them turning the corner I just seen a bunch of cops there as they walk in and you just get these big wrestlers stumbling in yeah. and Kevin was kind of the babysitter because he's so much bigger than everybody else. It yeah. hits him last and after the whole situation. But the way he tells the story is one of the funniest things because Sean, it hits Sean first <laughs> and Sean's just gone. Yeah. And they're just like, we got to get him out of here. And there's 50 <laughs> cops in here. This is going to be bad. And I don't know how they got out of it, but God, thank Thank God for them. Triple H was as smart as he was because Triple H got him out of it. And it ended up with him having to go to the hospital. So I'm just saying that was their way out of it. An ER visit. (laughs) 
<laughs> and speaking of multiple people, uh, when Shawn Michaels got beaten up by the uh, Marines in that bar, uh, at first it was six, and then it was nine. Uh, there was one. <laughs> that was it. You know what's funny about that? People are like, yeah, but it was only one guy. I'm like, wouldn't you expect a Marine to beat the shit out of a wrestler? <laughs> yeah. Like a little little wrestler? Like maybe yeah. like Brock or somebody would give him mm. a hard time. But I would expect a Marine to beat the little snot out of Shawn Michaels because it's Shawn Michaels and not a Marine. Yeah, and especially a drunk Shawn Michaels who was probably being a prick. So, yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so uh, if you have not seen the A and E biography, it is available on uh, on demand or at a and e dot com. Uh, I, I want the A and E biography of Whisper, and I want it now. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, and staying on that date, I took that May 17, 1993 first, uh, because that's not as important as what happened 30 years earlier, May 17, 1963. You know, I bring up on this very uh, date and on the, the wrestling historian, I say certain dates mean a lot in the history of professional wrestling where the industry changed or when something happened that we'll, we're still feeling uh, the ramifications of. Well, May 17, 1963, in Madison Square Garden in front of 19,639 fans, uh, Buddy Rogers, the original Nature Boy, lost the Worldwide Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Championship in 48 seconds to Bruno Sammartino. Uh, God. No, finish your thing. Finish first. <laughs> uh, Bruno Sammartino hit Buddy with a drop kick. Go figure. Uh, threw him over his shoulder for a backbreaker, and Buddy gave up. And that would start... The reign of Bruno Sammartino that would go on for seven years, 11 months, and three weeks, and still and will always be the longest reign of any professional wrestler in the history of professional wrestling. Two things. Is that the last legit passing of the torch that's ever happened in wrestling? I'm going to say yeah, unless you can. Where Buddy Rogers was pretty much out of the picture out of that as far as the title on a major yeah. run i mean yeah because buddy's role buddy's reign as the nwa champion had come to a, an end in the uh early in 62 uh and the beginning of 63 uh we with uh with luthez and uh and also with toots mond insisting on buddy only defending the belt in northeast and not in the other areas uh where the nwa uh on their territories. So that's why the Worldwide Wrestling Federation was created uh, simply to appease Buddy Rogers and his gate attraction in the Northeast, which was insurmountable. Yeah. But at the same time, you're also the NWA champion, which means we you got to wrestle in St. Louis and Texas and Florida too. Um, but yeah, so the uh, in that respect, yes, because... Uh, and there's always, you know, did Buddy Rogers have a heart attack in the dressing room the day before? Was that a shoot? Um, did Bruno break his back on uh, why Buddy never wrestled again after that? You know, Buddy didn't have a bad heart day, was the truth. And he didn't get in the ring again for another uh, 20 years uh, until he started his run in, um, in the Mid-Atlantic in 1982, which would lead to his... Uh, 
returning to the WWF as Jimmy Snuka's manager, which would start, you know, Jimmy Snuka's fabled uh, face run. Uh, but I also, but, and Buddy Rogers is just such a fascinating character because of what he did for New York and what he did for, for wrestling. And I, I mentioned this on this very, uh, segment. He's one of the guys on Mount Rushmore, as far as it would change the business, uh, him, Hogan, Austin, Jimmy Laudis, they, Buddy Rogers was a guy that influenced everyone, uh, that came after him. I mean, the gorgeous George gimmick came first but within a year gorgeous george was penniless and out of wrestling and buddy rogers took that same gimmick and by the end of that same decade was the biggest money-making attraction at that point in the history of wrestling and not just what buddy rogers did but everyone that he influenced uh not just pat patterson and ray stevens the Graham brothers the fargos flair Flair. yeah (laughs) And I, I mentioned Patterson and Stevens and the Graham brothers. They weren't blonde. The no, reason they, they were blonde was because, because of Buddy Rogers. Buddy Rogers. <laughs> yes. Whatever, whatever some, you know, we were talking about uh, New Jack and, and good promos on the first part of the episode, the first, you know, episode A, as I call it every week yeah. when we do too. <laughs> Uh, it's not a great promo, but it's one of my greatest. I can still hear his voice clear as day when he wins the title. Yeah. Where he just grabs the mic and goes, I just want to let everyone know. <laughs> To a nicer guy, it couldn't happen. happen. Yeah. <laughs> my my original, mic, original mic drop. And that was in Comiskey Park when he beat Pat O'Connor for the uh, NWA Heavyweight Champion. That, uh, and that title changed in Comiskey Park out through the White Sox that year with uh, 39,000 fans uh, to come see him. And he was still drawing 30,000 fans in, by the late 60s. Um, uh, that, but that was the, the uh, attraction of Buddy Rogers. Uh, and I want to point out, uh, uh, it's not part of this wrestling historian segment, but May 16th of, of in this week in, in wrestling history, uh, we lost Andy Kaufman, May 16, 1984. And we mentioned Andy Kaufman in a previous wrestling historian, but Andy Kaufman, while he was in the middle of his run of wrestling women on network TV that would culminate in a Jerry Lawler feud, Andy Kaufman was such a darling of Saturday Night Live, he got to wrestle women on Saturday Night Live on one episode, and he brought out as his manager, Buddy Rogers. Buddy Rogers was on Saturday Night Live, folks, in 1981. And Buddy, it was the first time Buddy Rogers had been in New York City on network TV in about 30 years. And so that was a big deal. Not just a wrestler being on Saturday Night Live, which is a big deal, but it was Buddy Rogers that introduced Andy Kaufman for his segment of wrestling women. And he put over Buddy Rogers, just like Andy Kaufman put over Buddy, put over Fred Blassie. He was a fan. uh, He was a student of the game. He knew the best way to get the guys to get heat were were those two guys. But I don't think it it should not have been lost. So what Andy Kaufman, not only what he did for professional wrestling, put professional wrestling on the map, but putting – these old school guys in mainstream situation. Andy Kaufman got Buddy Rogers on Saturday Night Live. Okay. I can't express that. That's how huge that was. But that self-same Buddy Rogers would lose his Worldwide Wrestling Federation Championship that he fought so hard to gain in that tournament in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Uh, He would lose it May 17th, 1963, and would start the longest reign, like I said, seven years, 11 months, and three weeks, the longest reign 
in the history of professional wrestling that will never be broken. Started by Bruno Sammartino. I, I, I just want to say I grew up right around the corner from his house. Yeah. And it was one of those things where every time we drove by it, which sometimes was twice a day, mm-hmm. my grandmother would go, or my grandmother and mom would go, that's where Buddy Rogers lived right there. <laughs> it should be in mind. It should be, that should be a historical site. And somebody, somebody else owns it. It, it was it. It was over. He, yeah. he, once he passed, it was sold and there's a pool in there. Like it, it. it's a, it's not like, it's not this huge. Cause those guys. Oh yeah. Just a quick, just a quick aside. Uh-huh. Those guys made tons of money. Yeah. And I'm talking about, you know, Craig, what you and I say and, and what fourth line voice and I say about ratings versus today in private yeah. when we're DMing each other about the money and the ratings that were going through TV in those days for a guy that made that much money. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a huge mansion you'd expect him but it was a nice sized house right on the top of the hill near Haddonfield. Yeah. Of course, Haddonfield. Um, where us poors would look and go, wow, that's a big house over there. <laughs> yeah, and 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 but 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 it was smart about he spent it uh he I mean he lived comfortably, but he as much money as he could have spent and and like a lot of his contemporaries did spend, he didn't, and he was smart about it. Uh to put it in terms of if we adjusted um what Buddy Rogers was making in the late 50s, early 60s would be what LeBron James is making now if we adjusted for inflation and what uh, his yearly salary was compared to the amount of crowds that he drew, stadium-sized crowds, as well as the TV ratings that he drew on network TV. Uh, Buddy Rogers was a, a game changer. It would be space wrestle. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. Not space, yeah, you know, but uh, and this was is meant to celebrate the beginning of the longest reign in in wrestling history with Bruno Sammartino. But yeah, speaking of, speaking of speaking of money and ratings, <laughs> Bruno San Mar goddamn Tino. Yeah, to where you cut two years later, the first ever show I'm at mm-hmm. in person in wrestling, Bruno is just the referee. Yeah, Bruno is forever. He's still not dead. I know he's dead, but he's not. You know, yeah. it's Bruno. No, and the ratings, the records that Bruno set will always be there. And like I said, will never be broken. No professional wrestler ever will hold a bell for seven years, 11 months, and three weeks again. There is no way that any promoter anywhere would have the sack or ovaries or whatever you have <laughs> to do that. No. And I dare, so I'd love to see, I dare somebody to do it. I would love to see it because hmm. it, it would piss everybody off. Like, oh, he's going to beat Rogers? No, I, I'd love to see it. I don't think you can get that longevity in the indie wrestling. Can you do it in the WWF or AEW? I don't know. That's how you get a, there's how you legitimize the AEW title. Legitimize, yeah. air quotes, of course. <laughs> and I mean legitimize, like, it's on TV. It doesn't matter what you and I think about it. It's a world title in wrestling. Uh, have somebody hell hold it for 10 years. <laughs> Just see what happens. Yeah. Uh, the fact that CM Punk is still the longest reigning champion we've had in wrestling in the last 20 uh, is something, but uh, a sight to behold, but certainly is uh, Bruno did it, uh, which brings us to today in uh, professional wrestling history, uh, two landmark things. Uh, we're going to start with uh, May 9th today on this date, uh, 1990. 
Um, I don't know if I should do the card first and then do the, the name of the pay-per-view. Do the card first. Yeah, do that and then reveal the name. <laughs> uh, the Midnight Express defeated Brian Pillman and Tom Zank for the United States Tag Team Championship. Uh, Doom, the unmasked Doom, defeated the Steiners for the NWA Tag Team title. Uh, Lex Luger defeated Ric Flair for the uh, by disqualification for the NWA Heavyweight Champion. Obviously, Lex Luger never became the NWA Champion Thank by God. defeating Ric Flair, but he won by disqualification. On this particular pay-per-view, dubbed WCW Capital Combat. We're not mentioning the other thing. <laughs> no. We're not mentioning the other goddamn thing. Some would say this would be the beginning 21 years ago. 31 years ago, Dan, of the kind of garbage we're seeing now. Whatever do you mean? Nothing else happened on that show. Nothing else did happen on the show, but I'm saying for the for the fans that watched this past weekend's pay-per-view and experienced zombies on their screen, well, folks, 31 years ago, you would have loved to have seen zombies on a pay-per-view. I mean, they were as slow as RoboCop. It was <laughs> RoboCop, okay? It was fucking RoboCop. <laughs> But I only added I only added this date this card on to torture me, you son of a bitch. That's torture. why you did it to, to show you folks that have watched Zombie this past weekend. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Thirty-one years ago, we had RoboCop. This weekend, we had zombies, and both were movie tie-ins. That's true. Yes, both were on a but, wrestling pay-per-view. Hey, but Doom won the titles, and that's a big highlight for me. Says GM yes. Spectre. And the Midnight Express defeated Zank and Pillman for the United States Tag Team title. So, also a big deal. But all the probably the biggest deal, though, staying on this date, May nineteenth. Um, he, I would have liked to have seen, uh, what he would have been or what he would have looked like as as difficult as it may have been, but. On what would have been his 75th birthday, happy birthday, Andre the Giant. Yeah. And, you know, we mentioned Bruno earlier. Uh, we were talking about the biggest money-making wrestlers, at least in the 70s. It was, in order, Andre, Bruno, and whoever the NWA champion was. Very Andre, much. Andre was the made the Guinness Book of World Records. He was the first professional wrestler to ever make a million dollars in one year. That's nuts. Um, that's nuts. And again, but compared to today's, he would be Andre would be making LeBron James money. Uh, yeah, I had adjusting for inflation, but having a professional wrestler make a one million dollars in a year in the seventies, yeah, uh, it's not being it's still the most popular wrestler of all time. Uh, maybe the greatest single gate attraction of all time. Probably the most insane travel schedule of any wrestler at all of all time. Uh, and you know the amount of traveling he had to do to appear in multiple territories in one week to be the main event in each spot. Uh, and just also knowing that you're also 7'4", so you can't fit on every airplane or bus or rent, rent a car. So for him to make those travel dates and Andre uh, rarely, if ever missed a date and with the amount of money he's being paid, that's one of the reasons why he didn't. Uh, but to go from the WWF to the NWA, to the AWA, to Georgia championship wrestling, 
Florida Championship Wrestling, World Class, Mid-South, you name it, the Superdome, the Orange Bowl, Shea Stadium, Madison Square Garden, uh, Chicago Stadium, uh, Aloha Stadium in Hawaii, Andre did them all, Andre sold them out all. Uh, today would have been his 75th birthday. The eight, true eighth wonder of the world and um, someone whose likes we we're never going to see again. He wasn't the last seven-foot wrestler there was, but there's never going to be another seven-foot wrestler like DJ, Andre. DJ just said he needed it. Imagine how much TP he needed to wipe his ass. Yeah. <laughs> That's or get, that was DJ's takeaway. Yeah, that, thank you, DJ. I'm glad. Thank you for putting it in perspective. Yeah, thank you for the mental image. Yes, I'm talking about one of the most popular wrestler of all time. Think about the amount of toilet paper he. Went I'm through. assuming it was just paper towel rolls. He was just. Yeah. And I'm and done. What he actually, he's French. He probably had a bidet. That's it. That's or probably bidet. it. Yeah, a bidet or a bidet or a bidet or just a giant hose. Yeah. Garden hose. Okay, moving on. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> GP, holy shit. Yes. Yeah, uh, hey, and, hey. Hey. And what Andre spent alcohol is probably what most wrestlers made that year. So, uh, a happy birthday and what would have been his 75th birthday to the late, always great Andre the Giant. I don't want you to count, cut the segment yet. I want you to save your outro because we have been proposed something. Uh, by our, our friend at Fourth Line Voice, Darren. Uh, a what if, a wrestling historian yeah. what if, which okay. is reaching back to the upcoming episode in two weeks of um, Obey the Pucks, what if that didn't happen because my internet sucks. Um, what if uh, Brett dropped the belt? What if Brett dropped the belt to Sean the mm -hmm. right way? Mm -hmm. um, I don't think we would have had a Mr. McMahon character. Uh, probably the greatest heel in in WWF WWE history. I I don't think the the curtain gets exposed like that. I don't think he comes out. He definitely doesn't get punched in the eye and no. says Brett screwed Brett. Uh, um, Brett's run in WCW still would have been botched. It still would have been well. Yeah, up. those morons are that, still that running that. Yeah, yeah, that was going to happen. Uh, but I think if uh Brett dropped the belt. Uh, the same thing would have happened with Sean. He was still he was incredibly immature and pop pilled up that he would have, you know, imploded, you know, yeah. like he like he would. Um, but I, I think the Monday Night Wars would have gone on uh, unabated. I think. Um, but, yeah, I, I think you would have uh, you because the biggest thing that came out of that was the. Uh, the Monday Night Wars got heightened, and then the Mr. McMahon character became, um, he got exposed as the boss, which a lot of which a lot of casual fans didn't know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he's just the announcer guy. Yeah, I have a second what if from yeah. our, from the same friend. Yes. What if Vern put the belt on Hogan? If Vern had put the belt on Hogan, it, the AWA would still be around. Um, I think it well it would have lasted longer than it did if Vern had put the belt on Hogan. Uh, not only would Hogan not have left to go to the WWF, neither would Bobby Heenan, neither would Gene Okerlund, neither would Tito Santana or Rick Martel or Kurt Henning. You think they still could have weathered the uh, Vern Gagne storm and he would have finally given up power to 
Greg, at least. The I very think least. If, if Vern had wanted to make money and keep his, his beloved uh, Federation there, because think about it, Dan, if you kept the belt on Hogan, this is late 83 going into 84. You start 84 with Hogan as your champion. All the people I just mentioned are still there. Um, Bobby, uh, Gene Okerlund, Kurt Henning, Tito Santana are all there. In five months, the Road Warriors are going to be there. So if you're Vern, you just got a license to print money. And while the WWF is continuing with their expansion, maybe with Sergeant Slaughter as their champion or still trying to go national, uh, maybe Vince would have made up his efforts to double his efforts to go after world class in his expansion. Maybe he would have gotten Fritz and Carey because to compete with the AWA. Uh, you made, oh, man. Can you imagine the Von Erich brothers getting a chance instead of just one? To the mind, the mind wobbles. I mean, uh, it literally, literally on the first thing uh, uh, Darren said, you would. You wouldn't give, you wouldn't get McMahon and Austin. You literally yeah. lose the main component mm -hmm. to the writing of the WWF ship. Yeah. You, you, you lose that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure you still have talent coming up that still some fit, you know, pieces would have fit yeah. into place, but you lose a lot of what the Attitude Era is remembered for. Who would Vince put the Hogan spot on? Carrie? Sergeant Slaughter was already there. He had just oh, yeah. turned face. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And he was the biggest money. He was the biggest attraction they had prior to Hogan getting there. So if Hogan never comes, you could easily make the, the switch from Backlund to Iron Sheik and have the natural, his natural opponent, Sergeant Slaughter, beat Sheik for the title. And the expansion still could have gone because Sergeant Slaughter was insanely popular. But Vince was still starting his expansion to get all the other territories uh, to all the other uh, wrestlers in his territory. So he could have still gotten the NWA guys, Piper, Steamboat, Greg Valentine. He still probably could have gotten the Mid-South guys, Junkyard Dog, Ted DiBiase, Hacksaw Duggan. Um, he couldn't get Fritz because Fritz wouldn't sell. Yeah, I was going to say Fritz. Fritz would be the stickler on that one. Yeah, well, because Kerry was on the short list of guys that he wanted to expand, Kerry would have been, a, as was Ric Flair, if he couldn't have gotten Hogan. Uh, to be in his expansion. But if Verna kept the belt on Hogan in the AWA, all those guys would have stayed. The AWA, because he had the most popular wrestler in the world on in the United States, because he was still coming up for Rocky Three, coming off of Rocky III, um, the and he was selling out everywhere he went in the AWA, which was the second largest territory outside the NWA. They could have done incredible business. And in order to combat that, who knows, Vince and Fritz could have come to an understanding that the uh, WWF and the world class could share some talent. That's it's absolutely mind boggling. Yes. And uh, but that's right. Case of Vern screwing Vern because you had Hulk, you had the golden goose right there and uh, you went behind it, selling Hogan merchandise without Hogan's uh, say so. And losing him, uh, same way he lost Stan Hansen, uh, because he couldn't conform and uh, couldn't see a cash cow, right? And I, again, 
like Jerry Lawley said, you can have the best idea in the world, but if Vern didn't think of it, it's not the best idea in the world. You know, I, I heard Stan Hansen say on the, prior to him having the AW, AWA belt taken off of him, when he was AWA champion, they were giving him opponents, you know, like Sergeant Slaughter, a very green, Leon White, Greg Gagne, Nick Bockwinkle. They weren't moving the needle and the fans weren't, you know, clamoring to see him. But Stan Hansen pitched to Vern because he was going to, the, to to Japan because he wasn't making any money. He was getting paid a WWE champion. He was making a hell of a lot more in Japan. But he pitched to Vern, Dan. He said, "Give me Kurt Henning. I'll do a then I'll do a non-title loss to Kurt Henning." And this is when the AWA was on ESPN. I'll get pinned by Kurt Henning on the ESPN non-title. I'll go to Japan. By the time I come back. The main event's already written. Kurt will be on TV talking about he should be the AW champion, how he pinned me. When I come back, we do sell out houses. Burn. Nope. And Stan has said on a couple occasions he wanted Kurt Henning. Nope. Couldn't come to an agreement. Stan's in Japan. Mail back the belt. Stan says, F you. Run it over from my truck, and I mail it back. But that's twice. That's two times that Burn had your AWA champion with an idea to expand, to make your company a big one. With Hulk, you had the most popular wrestler in the United States. He was just on the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. And he's wrestling for your company. Why don't you put the belt on him and send him back on the Tonight Show with the belt, with the AWA Heavyweight Championship? And again, in six months, you have the Road Warriors. Yeah. Hogan yeah, and the which, Road Warriors. Which do not underestimate underestimate the Road Warriors. Big money there. Big oh money my there. God. So uh, great what ifs. Thank you. Thank you, Darren. Keep, Appreciate keep it. it keep it coming. Keep yeah, it coming next please. week. Please. Please, I beg you. I need it. And that, gentlemen and ladies, is a hyper hyperbolic version of the wrestling historian. And you can follow me for any and all history, historic tidbits, wrestling and non-wrestling related pop culture stuff on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter at Craig Lagons, C-R-A-I-G-L-I-G-G-E-O-N-S. Follow me on all social media platforms at Danlaw83, the H-I-A-C Talk Radio Network has relaunched. Go to your podcast app, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. Type in HIAC Talk Radio Network. Look for the new black and red logo and subscribe and listen. Please, we appreciate it. For all the all old episodes, don't read and talk at the same time, Dan. Go to the old VOC Nation Radio Network. Um, for Craig Lagans, I'm Dan Calchico. See you next time. Good night. the show, Mother Earth. Oh, can we play?